0: Welcome to Right Side of the Brain, the podcast created by Interact Stroke Support. Interact are a charity that take professional actors into hospitals and stroke clubs to deliver a live interactive reading service to stroke survivors. And we now also deliver the service virtually, directly into people's homes. Please visit our website, www.interactstrokesupport.org, for more details. Our guest this week is actor and former Interact reader, Eleanor Kedd. Eleanor Kedd, a very, very warm welcome to our podcast, Right Side of the Brain.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for inviting me.
0: No, it is an absolute pleasure, um, Eleanor. Um, Now, you were uh, at Interact right from... Or practically from the very very beginning, as 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 I recall, to tell us how you um, got involved with Interact and wh- why you were why you were drawn to the charity.
1: I, I actually wasn't from the very beginning. I heard Caroline Smith, um, who created it, uh, interviewed on Radio Four, and I think it had been going about a year or two. Um, so I, I looked it up, looked up the charity and um, got in touch with her, wrote her a letter and said it was something I'd be really interested in, in getting involved with and um, and then I, I didn't hear anything back straight away so I forgot about it and then about six months later she called me and said would you like to come in for an interview and I said yes, <laughs> so that's that's how it started. And
0: what, what were those very early days like Eleanor going going into the the hospitals uh, what were what were the sort of the the trials and the tribulations of working for a newish charity at that time um delivering um a, a reading service in a hospital setting
1: well there there are all the practical difficulties you're competing with beeping machines and um televisions sometimes noisy visitors or or distressed patients and and sometimes emergencies as well so you're it, it's not quite as gentle as sometimes it it sounds you you know you're you're trying to to make a patient feel um calm and relaxed in in what's quite often a chaotic environment and and they they're usually quite scared i mean they've just had a stroke so your job is to really keep them calm, I suppose. Um, but I think I think some of the difficulties I found as a new reader, one of one of the things was asphasia. I'd never come across that before. And when you when you first meet somebody with asphasia, it's very difficult to know how to deal with that. Um, so and in those days, patients were in hospital for quite a long time. And I remember reading to one man and he, I really couldn't understand. Asphasia is when they, they people can't um, speak properly. So sometimes they'll repeat a sound or something, um, and it's just it's almost impossible to understand what they're trying to say. But this one patient, I read to for about six months. In those days, you know, they were in that long, and and that was fascinating because by the end of that time, he'd managed to regain his speech, oh, wow. and he could he'd tell me, you know what. What had gone on for him? So he, he was able to tell me that he'd had a stroke in the Philippines and he'd woken up after a couple of days in a coma and um, his sister was there and the doctor and they were explaining to him what had happened and that he was going to be flown back to London. And then he asked a question and they both looked horrified, you know, and, and the sister turned to the doctor and, and he just said, yeah, this is, a, this is one of the side effects of stroke. Um, But but the the patient didn't know what was going on. And so he kept asking questions and and not being understood. And he said it was like um, going to sleep and waking up speaking a foreign language that you think you're speaking like we are now, you know, but everybody around you hears this language that nobody can understand.
0: I think that that's a a really fantastic description actually and 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 you you raise a a a very very important point which is the sometimes uh chaotic surroundings of of a hospital ward and what is going on in a hospital ward and um i think some people can often have the impression that this is a rather genteel thing where you know we are reading uh, to a, a stroke patient, forgetting, of course, the environment that, that you are in, and also the challenges that you face when someone has something like a, a, aphasia. Um, yeah. that, that's a very interesting um, anecdote. Do, do you have any other sort of anecdotes or moving experiences um, that, that you saw uh, during your time as an interact reader,
1: well, uh, there, there, I think any interact reader would would have a storeful. I mean, just sitting, you know, being having the privilege of spending time with people and hearing their life stories and hearing about what they've been up to is, you know, as is, is interesting as the stories that you're trying to read to them. Um, I, I think there. I think one of mine would be. Um, there was an, uh, a a guy who was who couldn't speak again, and and we read to him for a few uh, weeks, and then I think it was Oliver Senton managed to he'd read a story that triggered for this guy that a, a story about a, somebody with a daughter, so he was able to convey to to the reader that um, that he had a daughter and that she was a nurse, and one of the Members of staff knew what island this this patient had come from, and so um, managed to find out there were two hospitals on the island. One of them um, they rang and didn't get anywhere. Then the second one, there was a nurse working there with the same surname, and this man had come over to Britain and then lost touch with his daughter, and she had been worried sick, and you know, she didn't know what had happened. So that was that was brilliant. They managed to make contact. And he was actually an English teacher. So um, she found out that somebody he taught that was now in London, and I think he was um, to do with the government, uh, managed to tell him that, you know, his old English English teacher was at St. Thomas's, So he came to visit. And the next time I went to see this patient, he was just surrounded by all these flowers and you know, looking completely different. And, you know, it was that was that was lovely that 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 came out of that. Um, but, but, you know, there, some some patients they, they weren't so receptive to the to the service. And, and there was one patient I was warned about reading to, and they said, you know, please don't read to him because he's really aggressive. He's, you know, he's got a lot of problems, he's homeless and he's just had a stroke. And so I said, yeah, sure and and I I went in and um read to the person in the bed next to him because sometimes that was a good way of getting somebody that was reluctant to be read to to introduce them to what we were doing and when i finished i made eye contact with this man and and he shook his head and i said oh that's okay i'm i'm not going to read to you that's that's okay but you know my dad um emailed this this joke to me this morning and i was wondering if i could tell it to you because i'm i'm not really sure how appropriate it would be for me to use this joke for, you know, on the ward for patients. So I, I told him this filthy joke that my dad had told, <laughs> sent me that morning and he burst out laughing. So then I said to him, oh, you know, do you want to hear a story? And, and he said, yeah, all right, go on. So I, I read him a story and, and, um, and then we had a little chat about, you know, being in hospital and how boring it can be and stuff like that. And then when I left, you know, the the speech therapist was like, "Eleanor, how did you do that? How on earth did you? You know, we can't even give him his medication. That's how reluctant he is to, to have any kind of, you know, intervention or help." And and that was the other thing that that we we could do was find a way in sometimes with patients because depression is a massive side effect of having a stroke, and and um, what we tried to do is is to transport somebody, you know, away from the hospital, away from what's happened to them, give them something else to think about for a little bit. And then when they come back, quite often, they will be in a much more receptive place.
0: Yeah, and that—that that is such a, a brilliant point about how sometimes, you know, we can go beyond what occupational and speech therapists think about a particular person Connect with them in the in the way that you did by 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 telling them a, a joke that had been sent to you by your dad, and um and and suddenly they are making at least some form of of engagement and communication with with somebody else that isn't necessarily the hostile image that um, other hospital practitioners may have of that person, and quite often after an experience like that. They may be more inclined to work with occupational and speech therapists because you know they themselves are in a little bit of a of a better place at that point in time.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. But but also, I think the advantage we have with that is is time. You know, the people that work in hospitals they they don't have enough time to spend with patients, and we had that luxury of being able to sit with people and learn about their families and learn about their lives and. Learn about them. I think many years ago, I I worked in a a casino as a croupier, and I witnessed human nature at its worst. Um, You know, people are quite possibly the best time of their lives behaving appallingly. (laughs) Um, And when I started working for Interact, what really struck me was I was meeting people at at arguably the worst moment in their lives, and um, and just witnessing such courage and and bravery and the best of human nature.
0: Yeah. You, of course, were with Interact for quite a long time, and so obviously you saw Interact change and evolve over the years, um, in particular with with an emphasis on post-hospital creative projects. Um, and, and as I recall, you were one of the, yourself and Christine, the late Christine Collins, um, were the 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 sort of the very first people to develop community-based projects where interact were encouraging stroke survivors to be creative and essentially you and christine were acting as facilitators for their creativity could, could you tell us a little bit more about that
1: wow well, that was i mean that was quite we we were given a brief we we were asked to do drama workshops with Um, stroke club with a stroke club in the Holloway Road and um, so we 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 were the group that were involved were had a big range of disabilities some people couldn't speak some people couldn't move so we thought right well we've been asked to do a drama workshop that's what we're going to do so we started off um, doing mouth exercises and and getting everybody to greet each other in their own languages because that was the other thing, it was a very mixed group. And then we went on to creating, we got them to do mimes, we'd, we'd print out cards with um, pictures of activities on and get them to mime what, you know, ironing or, you know, it was quite challenging for some people and e- easy for others. So it was difficult to kind of get that balance right. But But, what we struck on was in the middle of all of this, the one thing that we learned was that a lot of people hadn't actually had that much communication with each other. They'd been kind of wheeled in, left in a corner with a cup of tea and which was exactly what the carers needed. you know, they needed a break, they needed to go and do some shopping or get their hair done or or just have a cup of coffee um. But but for the for the patient or the stroke survivor, I should say, they they were, you know, a bit bored. And and the other group sometimes didn't there was there were there was an example where one lady was from the Congo. So we started speaking French to her and then she started communicating back. And the the rest of the group said we didn't even know that she could speak, you know, and then they felt awful because they sort of ignored her, you know. Um, but there were there were the other sort of occasions that were really powerful for me was that in the middle of all these games that we were playing and things, sometimes people would stop and just tell you about their experience. And there was one man who gave a description of, you know, he really wanted to get home and he thought everything would be fine once he got home and then got home. And of course still had had a stroke and he went to the shop to get some milk and, he couldn't find the right change in time and the queue was building up and the shopkeeper was quite rude to him and ended up throwing him out because he thought he was drunk. And then somebody else in the group said that that exact thing had happened to them and it had made them never want to leave the house again. And then one of the ladies in the group said when she had her stroke, she suddenly realised she was surrounded by people and she thought, great, they're going to help me. Somebody must be calling an ambulance. And then she realised they were having a go at her because they thought she was lying on the pavement drunk slurring her words and you know and these were experiences that they had all been through but had never really shared with with anybody and and certainly not with each other and that was really empowering for them you know to realize that that their experience wasn't a one off it, it it was really common i mean i must say this this was you know this was a good while ago and i think these um commercials like face and all the 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 knowledge we now have about stroke i think people are much more aware of the symptoms and spotting the symptoms but certainly back then it was um you know you were quite often accused of being drunk
0: you know that's that is such a, 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 a interesting um, anecdote you know i would love to know how many stroke survivors have gone through a perception of other people um, looking at them and thinking that they are drunk in some way, and not realizing that actually it is um, a product of the, the condition that they have, which which is a, which is a stroke. Mm. And um, you know, it'd be very interesting if a, if an organisation like, for example, the Stroke Association would do more research into that, because that initial perception of "oh, this person is drunk" inevitably leads to well i'm not going to necessarily help this person yeah yeah
1: they just, des- you know they're in that state cuz they've got them
0: because of themselves yeah. that uh, you know it's it, they they have brought this on themselves so i'm not going to get involved and if somebody is, is having a stroke you know if if we if we could get them into the hospitals during what's known as you know the the golden hours the, the earliest that we could get them into the hospitals they're, they're more likely to be to be treated uh, as the medical emergency that it is and you know within that golden time hopefully the medical professionals can can help them you know to, to maximum effect yeah. but it does need the, the, the you know the general public to, to not look at uh, people like that and and make assumptions that they've just had a stroke uh, that they're sorry that they're just drunk yeah did, you, you obviously met a whole load of stroke survivors, both in hospitals. You met them in uh, stroke clubs. You met them d- doing the community uh, projects that you were just articulating now, Eleanor. Did it? Did it change your particular view of stroke?
1: Um, well, I think one of the there were there, there were a couple of things that really um, struck me. The, the first was how young you can be to have a. You know, you you imagine you're going to be reading to grandparents, um, and and actually you you're reading to a very wide age group, um, and and the it seemed to they seem to get younger. Maybe I just was getting older. <laughs> um, but the other thing about that, that I, I must just mention about reading in hospitals that, that I wasn't aware of was how many patients don't have any visitors at all. You know, I mean. We, we tread that line where you know the doctors are there to test them and the family are sometimes quite upset you know understandably at seeing their loved ones having just had a stroke um and we're we're great at, at being able to 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 give take everybody away from that situation for a moment and give them something else to talk about if you you know somebody's visiting every day they can run out of things to say and and um, that that gave a tremendous freedom, I think, to people. Um, but but the amount of patients I read to you that didn't have I was the only visitor they had was 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 really quite shocking, and 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 I think very typical of today. You know, a lot of people don't live near their families, and if you're in a hospital, that's a big distance. Um, you know, you might be estranged from your family, but sometimes you're not. They just can't physically get to visit you.
0: Again, you know. You, yeah. Elena, you're raising really, really important points here because, you know, this has always been a concern of mine, this whole concept of loneliness. And and I often feel that uh, in many ways, loneliness is not an exclusive monopoly of stroke survivors, that this is a major issue um, that we face in society in general. And I know that Interact obviously are a stroke-based charity, but I often think to myself, You know, if if we could help uh, people who uh, are socially isolated, who are desperately lonely, maybe via projects like Interact at Home, for example, which is the virtual service that that we offer um, at at this point in time, that that would be a, a wonderful thing because loneliness has become such a massive issue over the last uh five ten years and of course it's probably been exacerbated by um, the the lockdowns and covid yes yeah you were part of uh what was originally a a, a two-handed play that that interact uh, created called um it couldn't happen to us which was essentially the the story of a couple and the impact of um a stroke on that couple and and how it affects or or affected their relationship um and uh, I, the, the play be, sort of um, became a three-hander um over time but it, it initially performed um at various places uh stroke clubs it performed at a stroke assembly um i think in in nottingham it, it performed at a the Stroke Forum, which at that time I think was in Liverpool. Um, you were part of that, uh, you, you performed uh, within that. Could you tell me um, about your experiences in the play and, and any feedback that you received uh, about the play?
1: Well, the thing is, the, uh, the, the play was really about a man having a stroke and we were trying to... Um, uh, to show how how devastating this affects not just the the person who's had the stroke but the people around them and that was that was my I mean I was playing the the partner of the person who'd had the stroke and that was the the main feedback I was getting was that's my story because you know the the people that are left to care I remember one woman saying to me you know, I spent three months with the doctors telling me, oh, the carer will do that. The carer's now got to do that. that that's a job for the carer. And it took her three months before she realized that meant her. She was the carer. And, um, you know, it doesn't matter how much you love somebody and how much you, time you've you've spent with with them. You're not always the best person for that job. And the person who's had the stroke might not want you to be that role they might need you actually to carry on being the loving partner rather than a carer um so and there was a great line actually in the play about am I supposed to just drop my life and be a carer now and you could hear a pin drop when I said that sometimes because you knew that the carers and that's exactly you know they hadn't signed up to this yeah so that that was the the main thing that I remember from it was was how many people I could identify with 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 her story, you know. We were we were really doing it to show what what had happened to the stroke survivor, but um, but it was it was really her story that that seemed to you know that goes on un, unsaid.
0: That's exactly the same impression that I got too uh, from that play. That uh, although it because you
1: you of course were playing the
0: I was the, play, I was the, playing the, the 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 chap who has the stroke itself. Yeah. Um, and um, assumed that that would be the, the main takeaway. And like you, it was fascinating that the, the biggest feedback we received was never about the stroke survivor per se, but about the implications to his partner and how her life had suddenly changed and you yeah. know what happens to them. And it, it raised the wider issue that's always bothered me in a way about carers and 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 we, we never ever talk about the carers we we never sort of um address the the issues the concerns the fears and anxieties that and the way that their lives have fundamentally changed and uh, it's always been something that has has concerned me and i i wonder in the future whether we as a charity uh, could try to to at least explore that in some way
1: yeah yeah
0: Um, One thing that uh, you did, uh, Eleanor, uh, whilst you were with uh, Interact, um, is that you trained new actors. And I think that there will be a lot of people who think, well, I'm a professional actor um, I know how to read. What's there to be trained about? And I, I wonder how you'd answer that.
1: Well, I, I think to be fair, I think a, an awful lot of actors already have all the skills needed to do this because, like I, I said in, at the start, you know, you're competing against a lot of um, a lot of distractions when you're reading to a patient on a very busy ward, and and I think actors are quite good at, at navigating that. My my biggest problem quite often was was having people, friends, say, oh, I'd really like to do that. Can I come and do it? And me having to say to them, well, well, we really need to use professional actors. You know, there's, there's a reason why we use professional actors. Um, because with the training, I mean, most of it was practical stuff, you know, wash your hands between patients and all that sort of stuff. Don't sit on the bed, <laughs> things like that. Don't put anything down on the floor if you can help it, you know. Keep any any chance of um, of um, transferring any any risk to the patient um, down to a minimum. And but but what was fascinating was hearing these actors all read these stories that, that we were quite familiar with because we were all given the same reading book that's full of um, really carefully chosen stories uh, to read to patients. So um, so it was fascinating hearing them. You know, read the, these stories in in their way. You know, that's always fascinating. I think for an actor to hear somebody else do that line. <laughs> but um, but but one of the things to to I suppose warn if, if if that's the right word is is never. You know, sometimes you'll be reading the newspaper to somebody, and that's fine. But sometimes someone might have a book and and ask you to read it. And I remember one guy um, had this nautical book and it was all about ships I've never seen before or since some of the words I was trying to pronounce on, on that day, and he was having to help me through the sentences because I had no idea what I was even trying to talk about. Um, so you always come up against, you know, sight reading's great for you, and and especially as an actor, so, you know, it's a very good thing to do, but every now and then you are gonna come across something that you've probably never seen before. Um, and the other, the other one was was somebody had requested the Happy Prince by Oscar Wilde, and and I just hadn't read that for a while and forgotten how how moving that story is. So ended up trying to get to the end of it without crying. <laughs> so that was a bit embarrassing. But um, but I think the the main, you know, most actors have an empathy. You know, I I find the, the really good ones have have a natural empathy and that's extremely useful in this job and and just being able to give somebody the time and and that's the other thing with with the patients it, they can practice speaking to you without any embarrassment in a way that they sometimes don't feel they can with their own family and loved ones and and also in front of doctors they're they're very aware they're being tested so with you they can just um, you know feel free to to express whatever they 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 want to. And that can be quite moving and and quite a privilege. And also, I have to say, sorry, that sometimes you are reading to people who may be in a coma or have locked-in syndrome um, or who are dying. And, and again, that's another privilege.
0: Uh, Elena, can I, can I just uh, pick up on something in, in relation to that? Um, a- actors are used to rejection we We are used to going to uh, interviews, auditions, et cetera, and nine times out of ten, they've picked the other person. Um, does that give the actor an inherent advantage when the, ser- the 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 reading service itself is rejected by somebody who says, "No, I'm not interested?
1: It's also you're sometimes you're reading to people who have had a head injury. And sometimes their personality can be very different, and and they can sometimes be quite rude, um, and and also inappropriate. Mm. And we were encouraged by the speech therapist that was working, you know, that was giving us lists of people to read to and and helping us to um, with with what we were doing. Um, they would make it very clear that it was up to us to let the person know that they'd said something inappropriate because. Once they're discharged, you know they could get into an awful lot of trouble saying something. We we we're in hospital. We know that they've had a head injury, but somebody on the bus won't know that. Mm. And if they say something inappropriate, they could they could end up in a, a lot of trouble. Mm. So it was it, we were encouraged to to make it clear that that wasn't appropriate. But you would carry on reading if they liked. And but but yeah, sometimes you're given a flat no and. And that would be when I'd go, try and go to a bed nearby so that that person could see exactly what was involved. Because I think sometimes the no is 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 embarrassment. You know, they don't want to be read to. You, thanks. It's a bit patronizing. And, you know, I'm a grown up and, you know, what's that about? I'm, I'm trying to recover from a stroke. And and sometimes if they saw you reading to somebody else a poem or something or, or really good, you know, our stories were really good. and. Um, that would encourage them to then say yes the next time.
0: Uh, well, on that point, are, are men more likely to say no than women?
1: That's a good question. I, I think I did get a lot of no's from men, uh, more, more no's than from women. Yeah, I, I do think for some reason women are very happy to be read to um, in a way that men aren't. But again, I would just sit and chat and learn a bit about them and hear their stories, and then quite often, you know, something would come out of that that, you know, a poem or something. That there'll always be some ground that you can, you can get to where you'll be able to, to provide the service. So, um, f-
0: final question: um, Is there anything that you feel that Interact is not doing that uh, you think? the charity should be doing
1: gosh um I mean I think the main thing is listening to the readers because they're the ones on the ward meeting the patients and and any ideas that they come up with and and when I worked at Interact you know they there there was a really good system for that we we could give you ideas that we were having and things and and um make whatever changes were necessary because also things are changing so fast you know when I first started reading you could sit on somebody's bed and read to them you wouldn't dream of doing that now I think you know you have an army of of talented actors and and I think one of the the things that came across for me was how important art is in the world you know in a hospital it it's it's not just in a theatre um you know this is how we all get through life. and um, I think that for that that was that was the most you know moving thing that whether you were singing or reciting poetry or reading a story, that that difference that you're making to somebody is some um, is priceless.
0: Um Eleanor Cadd, thank you for being such a brilliant guest on Right Side of the Brain
1: thank you thank you and it's brought brought some really lovely memories back i remember at the end of our stroke clubs we used to sing a song and uh, and one day it was bring me sunshine you know the morcom and wise oh yes song. and at the end christine collins I'll, I'll never forget jumped out of her seat and did the skip across the room <laughs>
0: in, in the in the guise of in the guise of morcom and wise yeah, oh, she was, well, that, that's a really lovely memory to, to end with, <laughs> yeah. Eleanor. Thank you so much.
1: Thank
0: you. That was Eleanor Caird. For more information on our work, please do visit our website at www.interactstrokesupport.org. And if you're feeling generous, please do click on the big red donate button. We very much look forward to your company on the next edition of Right Side of the Brain.